Hello, and welcome to the Life Center Podcast. We're a church in Tacoma, Washington that exists to inspire our community to love and follow Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at all of our campuses, you can download the Life Center app, interact with us on social media, or visit lifecenter.com. Let's jump into this week's message. Thanks for listening. Are you ready for part two of Built to Last? Yeah, come on. We, we started last weekend focus in on this idea, what does it look like to build life Jesus' way? Now, if I were to survey the crowd, many of us, we want life to be stronger. We want it to be more secure, not less. And Jesus says these words. I want us to look together to Matthew chapter 7 as we begin. Jesus says these words in verse 24, Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens, can you say listens? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. Now, that, that's the key right there. It's not enough just to be a hearer. We also have to implement, to put it into practice. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now, for us, we, we want our lives to be built upon something unshakable, We want our relationships to be built upon something solid. We want our health to be rock solid. We want our finances to be rock solid. And today we're going to continue on, and we are going to talk about everybody's favorite subject to talk about at church. Finances, right? And don't worry, we've locked all the doors. You can't escape. Can't run away today. Now we're going to talk about finances, and here's why. Because there's very few things that impact all of us like money. How we view it, how we see it, how we handle it. And the truth is, Scripture has a lot to say on the subject of finances. Now, I've noticed this about our culture. How many of you have noticed that our culture, our society, we love regs to riches stories? My kids just got out of school the other day, and we took them to see a movie that was a cartoon when I was little, and now it's, it's a live-action movie, the movie Aladdin, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm watching this movie, and I'm just kind of going back to my, my childhood, but also I'm fascinated by the drive and the desire that our culture has to see somebody go from rags to riches, Reminded me of another TV show that I used to watch every now and then, The Beverly Hillbillies. Anybody remember that one? Anybody remember the song? Let me tell you a little story about a man named yes. Poor Mountaineer, barely kept his family. Yes. Then one day he was shooting at some, and up from the ground came a bubbling crew, right? Oil, that is, black gold, Texas tea. See, you, you give yourselves a hand. Come on. You guys are locked in. You guys drank coffee before you came this morning. You know, it's, it's interesting. We love that idea of going from nothing to significance, don't we? I mean, that, that idea, it just, it, there's something about it that, man, I would love to be out hunting for food and strike it rich. And here's what I've learned. A lot of us, we have hopes when it comes to our finances, but we don't always have the right habits when it comes to our finances. You know there's a big distance between hopes and habits, right? There's there's a big difference between those two realities, especially as it relates to 
our finances. And listen, I'm, I'm very aware that there's a lot of pastors, maybe a lot of churches, that don't want to talk about money for the, the fact that they don't want to offend someone. Can I tell you, I have a far greater fear than potentially offending somebody today. See, a greater fear that drives me is that we, we would miss looking into what Scripture says and the freedom and the blessing that it will bring in the area of our finances if we learn to handle it God's way. I don't want anybody to miss what Scripture says. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going we're to dive into that. And as we prepare to do that, I want you to consider two questions. One, are my finances where I desire them to be? I want you to think about that for a moment. I think most of us, we, if we were asked that question on the street, our answer would be no. Why? Because we could always use more money. We could always maybe uh, steward it a little bit better or direct it more intentionally. But here's the second question. Not only are my finances where I want them to be, but the second question is, are my finances where God desires them to be? That's a little bit different question, isn't it? Because as we look at scripture, the, the Bible has a lot to say about this issue of money. And I want us to look together to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul, he's going to encourage these believers, these Jesus followers who are gathered as a church in a church that he started in the city of Corinth. Corinth, it was a trading center. It was a port city. There was a lot of affluence there. And Paul says these words to these believers gathered in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to start in verse 1. It says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Take note of that first sentence. It says, I, I want you to be aware of what God has done. Who's the one doing the accomplishing? It's God. But how is he accomplishing it? It says that he did it through these churches. Now, what's important for us to understand, churches are not just buildings. Churches aren't just organizations. The church is what? It's people. It's people. And yet God was accomplishing one of his purposes through his people. It goes on. It says that they were being tested by many troubles. And they were very poor. But they also were filled with abundant joy, which overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. This is huge. Of their own free will. When we have the opportunity to give, it's of our own free will. If you're giving because somebody's twisting your arm, if you're giving because you're, you're feeling guilty, that's the wrong motivation. Biblical giving is a response or a reaction to generosity of grace in our lives. That's why we give. That's the motivation. And it goes on. Look at verse 4. This, this verse actually baffles my mind. Look at verse 4. They begged us. Again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I want you to think about the last time you were in a church and somebody said, Pastor, can we please take another offering? 
Anybody ever been in a church like that? Pastor, before you even preach, before the worship team even starts, please, let's get to that later. But can we please just give? Anybody ever been to a church like that? I've never been to a church like that. And that's, that's what Paul is describing here. He's saying that these Macedonian believers, in the midst of their own crisis, in the midst of their own challenge, there was something stirring inside of them about the need that was going on in Jerusalem. What was going on in Jerusalem? There was a famine that had hit. And the Jesus followers there were facing crisis and challenge. And even though they had their own circumstances, they wanted to help make a difference in the life of someone else. Verse 5, they even did more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Do you see giving as a ministry? Opportunity? Goes on. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith and your gifted speakers... Your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul challenges them. The, The believers in Corinth, they were all about spiritual gifts. I mean, their church services were crazy. They were all about gifts, all about the manifestations, all about the displays. And Paul says, as you grow in those, make sure you also grow in the gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, how many of us, we know that generous grace in our lives? You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. Now let me pause there for a moment because a lot of people have isolated this verse and caused it to say something that it's not specifically trying to say in its context. To understand what this verse is communicating, you have to understand what Paul also teaches in Philippians chapter 2, that though Jesus was God, he didn't cling to that, but he gave up that divine privilege and took on the form of a servant. He was rich, but he became poor, so that through his poverty, us trusting in the service that he brought to us, we could enter into the riches of his grace, the riches of his generosity, the riches of knowing that our sin is forgiven. Friends, that is the true riches that he's getting at here. Yet today, when we consider our finances, here's what I want us to take a moment and reflect on. Do your finances reflect your circumstances or your convictions? When it comes to how I operate my finances, because here's what I've learned. Something is at the steering wheel of our finances. Something is calling the shots. Something is giving the direction. And in our lives, is it going to be our circumstances or will it be our convictions? We think about Paul's words about these believers in Macedonia. What were their circumstances? Their circumstances were dire. They were up against their own needs. Things were challenging. Yet their conviction said, even in the midst of this circumstance, I'm going to be generous. What are our finances driven by? Because here's what I'm convinced of. Listen, biblical stewardship 
and biblical generosity do not happen on accident. And by the way, I think stewardship and generosity are two pedals on the same bike. Because it's hard for you to be generous if you haven't been a steward. And if you've been a steward, guess what? There's an expectation of generosity. Both and, I love this quote by Vince Lombardi, he said this, the man on the top of the mountain didn't fall there. When it comes to your finances, nobody ends up with finances that are built to last on accident. Nobody who's summited Mount Rainier in the last year fell their way up there. Can you imagine that? How did you get up here? I don't know, I just kept tripping. Doesn't work that way, does it? What is it? If you're going to summit Mount Rainier, it's going to be one intentional step after. Not only that, there has to be a conviction inside of you. I'm going to get to the top of this mountain no matter what it takes. I'm going to go through the training. I'm going to go through the process. You don't just fall to the top of a mountain. It takes intentionality. If we're going to experience our finances in such a way that are built to last. And by the way, why is it that I talk about finances? Why is it that I'm willing to press into a subject where you can kind of feel the tension in the room? Because one of the leading causes for divorce in our nation, finances. One of the leading causes of stress in our nation, finances. One of the leading causes of anxiety in our nation, finances. So if by looking at God's plans, God's blueprints for our finances, we could lower and decrease some of those things, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But when it comes to this area of finances, will we be driven by our circumstances or by our convictions? Now, listen, every time we begin to go here, I often hear common objections. Maybe you can identify with some of these. One objection is this, Tyler, tithing is just an Old Testament principle. Well, that's, that's true. It shows up in the Old Testament, but Jesus confirms it in Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to the Pharisees and say, he says, you do so good about tithing each of your spices and all of these things, but really you need to not neglect the broader matters of the law. And then he makes a statement. You should do the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, he doesn't say stop that. He says, no, do both. Do both. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says that these new followers of Jesus, they took all of their possessions and sold it all and gave it away. So under the New Testament, I think you could make the argument, the bar actually kind of begins to go up. Not only that, sometimes there's this idea that shows up, well, Tyler, I don't want to hear about finances because the church just wants money. The church just wants my money. Can I tell you, the driving force of Life Center is not to get your money. Can guarantee it. I promise you, I've never sat in one meeting where we're sitting around a table going, okay, how do we bleed people of their resources? You want to know what we're driven by? Jesus, you entrusted something to us. How do we make the most impact for your cause while we're on the face of this earth? How are we going to reach our city? How are we going to reach our world? We're driven by the mission. Another pushback I've heard, well, Tyler, when I have more, 
I'll give them. But listen, I've, I've taught my children since they were young. It, listen, you, you have to learn how to be faithful with $5 before you'll learn to be faithful with 50 it, it's all the, the same. It all scales, friends. If we can't be faithful with the little, the Bible talks about it's hard for God to trust us with more. So when it comes down to finances that are built to last, there's some convictions that I want to encourage us to embrace. There's three of them today. The first one is this. I am a steward, not the owner. I'm a steward, not the owner. And we may hear that and go, wait, 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 Tyler, come on. I work hard for my money. No doubt you work hard. I believe every individual in this room or watching online, you work hard for what you have. But at the end of the day, when you wake up and go to work, in the morning, when you wake up, you did nothing to make that sun rise. You did nothing to make yourself wake up, maybe except set the alarm, but you woke up. Oh, and by the way, we didn't provide our own oxygen to breathe, did we? You see, I think we can make the argument that it's all his. In fact, Psalm 24, verse 1 says it this way. Look at it. It says, the earth is what? The Lord's and everything in it. I study that word out. You, know, you want to know what that word everything means? Everything. <laughs> The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. So what that means, friends, is as I'm blessed, I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm just a steward. I'm not the owner. I'm not the one who's calling all the shots. This means what I do with my time, my talent, my treasure, it all belongs to him. See, we need to understand when it comes to giving, our attitude is actually greater than the amount. When it comes to giving in our lives, our attitude is actually more important. Here's why. Can you imagine writing out a check, going, well, here you go, Jesus. <laughs> Throwing it in the offering bucket. Hope you're happy. All of a sudden, Jesus is like, hey, Michael, Gabriel, check it out. They gave. I mean, no, the attitude in our giving is important. The attitude is more important than the amount. Because if we're not given with the right spirit, we miss the very point. Our giving, friends, it's a response to all that he's given to us. We are stewards, not the owner. And this is, this is why we're doing this financial freedom class. Why? Because we want to help people get out of debt. We want to help people set a budget. Maybe you don't like the word budget. Maybe you like the idea of a spending plan, okay? So we want to help you set a spending plan. Why? Because it's not enough just to have financial hopes. You have to have the right habits. When you understand that you're a steward, not the owner, things begin to shift. Here's the second conviction for us this morning. I worship with wealth. I don't worship wealth. I worship with wealth. At the end of the day, we need to understand money will either be an idol or a tool in our lives. It can't be both. It will either be a tool that God has entrusted me with to further his purposes and to provide for me, or it'll be something that I'm always worshiping, always focused on. You want to know what describes an idol? An idol is anything in your life that you give the place of prominence that decides your principles and priorities. Anything outside of God. 
For a lot of us, listen, money can easily slip into that place. And why giving is so important is we remind it, no, you do what I tell you to do, money. You don't tell me what to do. We remind ourselves that we are simply a steward, and I don't worship you. I worship God with you. Big difference. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why I believe tithing is such an important principle for us because it forces us to recognize as I honor God, I worship God with this. I I don't serve this. God, I serve you, but I'm going to honor you with what you've blessed me with. I worship with wealth. See, this word tithe, all it means is tenth. Everybody say tenth. That's what the word tithe means. It means 10%. And this is what we see in the Old Testament, but we also see it confirmed in the New Testament. And in fact, it predated the law. Abraham, he gave a tenth of everything when he honored Melchizedek. That was before Moses received the law. And why is this so important? Because it's all about prioritization in our lives. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this. Honor the Lord, what? With your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. See, there was something about this principle of not putting tithing way down at the bottom of the list if we have enough at the end of the month. No, instead, God wanted his people to honor him with the first fruits. So let me make this really practical. Garrett, can you come give me a hand? Maybe your thing is... Pineapples. Anybody like pineapples? By the way, this is a reminder that Jesus loves us and has a good plan for our lives, okay? So, so when it comes to tithing, I make the decision to honor God first. And then the other nine, right, the 90%, God says, hey, whatever you want to do with it, go ahead. And so maybe you're going to, you know, make some pineapple sauce or I, I don't know what you do with pineapples, but maybe that's your thing. Okay. But maybe your thing isn't pineapples. Maybe it is. Lettuce. So what do we do? We don't just consume it all first. No, we make the decision. God, everything I have is yours. I'm just the steward. And so I'm going to honor you first. And then what does God say? God says, the rest is yours. Go ahead, do with it as you want. Isn't Garrett doing such a wonderful job, by the way? Give it up. Maybe your thing isn't lettuce. Maybe it's carrots. How many carrot lovers do we have in the house? All right. So what do we do? We we honor God with the first portion, and then the rest, man. I I can do whatever I want with it. I can sell these carrots and take my kids to Disneyland. I mean, know that would be good good carrots right there. Maybe your thing isn't carrots. Maybe it is. Come on, the Fuji apples. There is a God that loves you. Right? And so what do we do? We, we honor the Lord first. And then God says, let the 90% do what you want. Save. Give. Pay. What, whatever you want. Enjoy the... Anybody noticing a difference between these two tables yet? Okay, but let's, let's keep going for the sake of... Okay, so 
uh, vitamin C fans, oranges, right? So we honor the Lord first, first 10%. And friends, this is, this is what tithing looks like. I honor God with 10 and I trust him. And here's what scripture says, that he's going to command his blessing over this. In fact, I've searched the scriptures. The only place that God invites us to test him, come on, overflow. You can't even, with, you can't even hang on to it. And we're not even done yet. Come on, what else we got? These did not exist before the fall. Bananas are disgusting. But we're going we're gonna to honor God with what he brings to us. And then the other 90%, we're going to do whatever we want. Right? What do we got here? Pear. All right. So the first 10% I honor. And then the other 90%, you doing okay over there? No. No? Okay, let me help you out here. The other, the other 90%, listen, we, we just kind of do what we want. With it. Does anybody notice a difference between what God is asking of us and what he says is yours? See, listen, here's what's incredible to me. God owns the garden. His plants are his plants. They're not my plants. It all belongs to him. And what he does is he knows my tendency and the tendency of my heart that I need to learn to trust him. And when I will trust him and put him in the right place, he commands his blessing over the rest. Here's what I learned a long time ago. 90% with God's blessing goes so much farther than 100% in my own wisdom and strategy. This is a, it's a conviction. I'm a steward, not the owner. I worship with wealth. I, I don't worship wealth. Here's the third conviction that I want to encourage us to embrace. My life, it should reflect the generosity of God. My life, your life, as followers of Jesus, if, if his love towards me has been generous, my love towards him and towards others should be generous. In fact, in Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, I, I love this verse. It says this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Verse 25. The generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Next time you're at the beach, grab a handful of sand. The tighter you grab that sand, the more it falls through your hand. The more you learn to hold it like this, the more you can actually hold. It's the same when it comes to finances. Our lives should reflect the generosity of God. And you want to know the greatest generosity that God ever displayed for you and I? It was the work that Jesus did for you and me. It was his love active for us. Friends, he has been so gracious, so generous, so kind to you and I. And what is our response? Our response is to worship him and to love him. We don't serve wealth. We serve Jesus. And of what God entrusts to my care, I choose to honor him. Why? Because I need to remind my money, you're not in control. God is. I'm going to honor you. And God, I believe that the principles in your word actually help me to live out a financial life that is built to last. So friends, this is why 
we worship God. This is why we honor him. And today I want to invite us to stand to our feet. Listen, we're going we're gonna to sing a song today about how God is always good. God is always good. He's always kind. He's always faithful. The greatest display of that, listen, the greatest display of that has been what Jesus has done for you and I.